Welcome to the Stitchcraft Podcast. What episode number is it? Oh, shit. Uh, not that. It's not number shit. It's, no. uh, is it number 19? No. Oh, no, 20? 20! Oh, shit, we're not quitters! <laughs> we're almost <laughs> old enough to drink. <laughs> we could go to Canada still. Yeah. But everyone's going, that's a little desperate. Yeah, it's a little much. <laughs> and that's, again, a joke if you don't know that Canada is a great place to go if you're 19. And if you want to have a couple brewskis and just, you know, embarrass yourself, it's a great place. Uh, but 20 still says, I can't be in the U.S. Let me go embarrass myself someplace else. Um, let's also introduce ourselves because I realize that we're just getting right into that. Um, I'm Miranda. I'm Eileen. And we're sisters. And this is the Stitchcraft Podcast. Ta-da. Ta-da. So um, we had a little pre-chat, which is kind of like cheating. Yes. But we can't help it because we're best friends. And that's what, what's going to happen. And we also talk like every day or text every day. Pretty much. Yeah. So sorry, but I think it's time to say what's in your cup. Yes. Uh, do you want to start? You just, I will. You just I'm- opened a fresh one. I opened a fresh one, but I still had another. I just didn't want to sound like a big old problem on the uh, on the podcast. I'm kidding. Um, but I actually have two beers from the same brewery, and I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about both of them. So I have uh, Castle Danger Brewery, which is – let me not spill this beer while I turn it on its side to read about it. But it's in Two Harbors, Minnesota. And Castle Danger is pretty popular in these here parts. Um, it's a really many. great name. Uh, yeah, it's, I just had to double check that I didn't like have like minor dyslexia and I was like, watch it be something else. Um, it is, you know what? Wait, now I'm all over. Now I'm, now, you know, when you look at a word too long Yep. and you're not sure. Okay. I sure do. D A N G E R. Danger. Danger. Sweet Danger. deal. Okay. <laughs> Danger. Get on the flow. Um, <laughs> these beers are about to get me on the flow. <laughs> And I hope whoever listens knows exactly who that's from. <laughs> but we won't say who it is. Uh, but if you want to comment the answer on the Instagram post, please do. Please do. Oh, that's a good song. Anyways, so Castle Danger. Um, it's in Two Harbors, uh, Minnesota. I just realized I have a vintage pennant from Two Harbors, Minnesota huh. um, that I bought in Iowa when I bought your pennant. I just realized this. Anyways, so I'm drinking two different beers. I have the 17.7 Pale Ale, and then I also have the Summer Crush, which is kind of like a lighter ale. So the 17.7 Pale Ale, this is something that they, I've seen this in a number of places. It's an American Pale Ale, um, and it's using our original 93-gallon system. And it's a hop-forward Pale Ale brewed with our seven-hop variety, and it's kind of the, uh, the main pale ale for their business summer crush is i'm trying to look how exactly i love the name oh i know right it's so good but it's also it's like a shandy Mm -hmm. it's not technically a shandy but for whatever reason the way that they're doing it it has a little bit more of a uh, sweet sweet sip to it um so yeah i kind of love it every time i'm at a place that i see castle danger ales i will drink one i always think they're pretty pretty sweet 
And they're, I think they're actually even better on tap than they are in the can. All right, I'm blabbering. What do you know? <laughs> you're not blabbering, you're informing. It's, a ver- <laughs> it's an audio podcast. That's what we do. Um, so I am having a beer that I've had once before, um, but I find myself saving it as though it's like some precious thing simply because of the label, because I want everybody to see this label. I bought it Ooh. purely for the label, knowing mm-hmm. nothing about the brewery or the flavors or anything. And I would do it all over again. It is <laughs> no called... regrets. Mm-hmm. No regrets. <laughs> so this is um, a beer from Carbon 4 Brewing in Madison, Wisconsin. I bought this um, in a... Uh, What's we're looking for? Convenience store on the way back from um, visiting Wisconsin because uh, the convenience stores have amazing microbrews. beer. <laughs> yeah, no. Do. Every time you're like, oh, this place looks like garbage. Guess what? It has everything. <laughs> yeah, it has all the stuff that's from all the local breweries that don't ship anywhere else and that you're not going to find anyplace else. So it is, it's an enigma. It's a weird anomaly, but go ahead. Yeah. So uh, Carbon 4 Brewing... Um, spelled K-A-R-B-E-N, the number four, which has no meaning to me aside from the fact that I know that carbon four is the way that carb- organic carbon is fixed in most biological systems. That's but not I don't light. actually know what that, um, if that's what that's it's not, about. That's not cocktail conversation. That's like no. science. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it is. That's kind science. Of, yeah, that's what I do. But it's a cool name, even though it's a slightly misspelled. It's a little, you know, Lincoln Park slash. Uh, it is a little. It's a little Lincoln Park, and then what's the other band uh, that Fred Durst was in? Oh, and Corn. Oh, Limp Biscuit. Limp Biscuit also misspelled. I so sometimes when people still misspell stuff, like right now, there's a lot of like indie bands that misspell things. I'm just like, oh man, people just love misspelling stuff. It just, it's a wave. It happens every 20 years. It's kind of I guess it wasn't cool when it happened the first time. It ain't cool now, but I digress. But the the beer. The beer is Fantasy Factory. (gasps) Oh, what is, is that a cat on a fucking unicorn? That is correct. Yes. Yes. It is a cat on a unicorn the cat has a red kind of uh scarf tied around its head like um karate kid style almost mm-hmm. except the tails are much longer so it's like a long red ribbon head i mean you gotta show the motion of being on top of the unicorn yeah so. and uh the cat is holding a i'm gonna say it's a pistol at first i thought it was a ray gun but it's not shooting rays and the unicorn has eyes that are lit up and it is breathing fire. I I think that it is totally okay that you bought this label. I did. And then and drank the subsequent beer that came from it. And um God bless that graphic designer. They yes. really got to do whatever the fuck they wanted. Or and someone told them. For me. Yeah, no. Either way, I don't care how they got to it. I don't know how they briefed the graphic designer who came up with the idea, but it's, that's good. And tell me about the beer though. Cause I realized the label is awesome. The label is awesome and uh, tells you nothing about the beer inside. <laughs> I actually looked to see if it had any descriptors on it. And I think the idea is that who needs a description when you have a fighter cat on a flame breathing unicorn, like eh, you don't really have to explain yourself. Um, 
So I'm looking it up on untapped. So they describe it in kind of excessive terms, which is not too surprising. Um, Hophead's crusade on a heroic quest for the Holy Grail of India Pale Ales. The subconscious composes parad... I don't even know how to say this word. Whoa. Paradisiacal? It's a word. It's paradise. Ickyical. Paradisiacal. (laughs) Maybe because I've never lived that life. There's no part of my life that's ever been like that. I don't know how to say Mm. that word. You're like, Um, where's the reality? Mm. Yeah. Uh, You know what? It's hoppy. It's a happy beer. It's happy. Cool. Um, and it does have a little bit of citrus, but I would say it's actually a little more malty. So it's both heavy on hops and malty flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little less like floral or piney or sharp, like some of those flavors that you sometimes find in IPAs. It, it has some of that. I don't want to say it doesn't, but it is, there's more like uh, bready maltiness that I would normally expect. So not, I would not describe it as light and crisp. It is not that. It is um, a beer. It's a beer. But it is, burr. it's good. Um, I think that I probably would enjoy it more at a different time of year. Um, oh. The the summer in Iowa has been very dry, unfortunately. Um, unfortunately for the oh. farmers. So the summer has been dry, but right now happens to be like a humid couple of days. Mm-hmm. And it's hot. And Got so it. a beer that's a little on the heavier side is not quite what I right. would normally want. It, the beer itself is good, though. You know, I forget sometimes that, like, I really liked IPAs when I lived in San Francisco. But San Francisco's got that weird temperate climate that it's officially, it's essentially fall year-round. Like, mm-hmm. by the end of the day, it's fall. So you're yeah. going to have a scarf. You're going to have a hoodie. And you can drink an IPA and be cool. But like when I drink an IPA right now, I still, I can, I can have one, maybe two if I'm inside air conditioning, but there's something about it that just like, and maybe I need to speak to a doctor about this, but um, I just feel like almost like I can feel like swelling. Like I get like mm. a little like, bleh. like I just don't feel good. I don't mm. feel like I can keep going versus like something that's a little bit more, I don't want to say watered down, but. Not Something not quite heavy. so robusto. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit more drinkable and you could have a food, especially like summer foods, right? Yeah. So I hear that. Um, but I think the label's worth it. Having one, excellent. Thank you, Carbon 4. Yes. I appreciate it. Yeah. I had a funny conversation at work today. Mm-hmm. Was it today or yesterday? We were, oh no, it was today. We talked about uh, photo reel prints being mm-hmm. like super cool and, or, you know, like, Oh, that's a, that's a trend to have photoreal graphic tees and stuff like that. And someone mentioned like photoreal unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> and cause I was like, Oh, like a photoreal, like whatever. And then someone was like a photoreal unicorn. And I was like, Oh, Oh, oh you got me. You got me good. <laughs> They're not real. Like <laughs> I was like, this is actually a conversation at work is about photoreal, not real, you know, faux reality situations found in graphics. It was just really funny. I don't, Nothing is to come of it, but I just love the idea of a photoreal unicorn. It's really important. (laughs) (laughs) Photoshop skills to the max. Very important. Um, Dig it. Well, I love your your drink choice. I also feel like you might need to take a photo of that for our 
Instagram post. I just think that is something to share. I have to agree. I think that um, the description, although we did our best to paint a word picture for you, uh, that <laughs> I think it doesn't do it justice, especially because I am, at, you know, I am, I'm just thinking that I know plenty of people who could do this, but I can't actually describe the font to you that is used on it. So hmm. it's definitely a font that all all 80s kids are going to look at and be like, yep, I know that font. It's like a late 80s, early 90s font. And then it was done in multicolor, um, like rainbow. Gradient. Yeah, rainbow gradient um, across the whole label in front of and behind the picture. So, um, you know, like you said, to, to do justice to the person who did this fine work, I will post it on on Instagram. I appreciate it. I will post mine as well, only because I actually think their artwork is pretty solid. It's almost like woodblock. I don't know if you can see this. Oh yeah, I can. Yeah, and they utilize style. and they utilize the silver aluminum mm -hmm. as white space, which I think is kind of good. Not even just white space, but just use that as white versus printing white. And I appreciate that. That's a design decision. So I feel like there's this weird trend right now because so many people are canning their goods because they are realizing that glass is not as recyclable as I think the public has been led to believe. So a lot of people are doing cans because the recycling uh, ratio is really high, right? Like the actual post-consumer usage is great. But that means that there's a lot of places that don't want to print the cans because it, not places, but businesses that don't want to print the cans because that costs a lot more. So everyone's been wrapping their pla their cans in plastic. And I'm like, does that defeat the purpose of what we were trying to do here? Because it's oh, a plastic yeah, I, wrap. I guess I hadn't thought about that. I guess I thought of them as being paper stickers like happens on glass. But I think you're right. They're not. They're, pl they're usually plastic in order to like withstand uh, the shrink wrap process onto things. And oh. I mean, I guess people could totally do a paper sticker too. I just haven't seen that yet. And it's still like, there's so many polymers involved in stickers, depending on if it's a vinyl sticker or not. Mm -hmm. And I feel like some scientist out there somewhere is going to correct me. But the point, is, the point is that, you know, if you're thinking about your footprint, like is covering that metal can and plastic, like the smartest idea, but I hope it worked with your business plan and blah, 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 whatever. Okay. I'm done. Okay. No, but it's, <laughs> it's a good thought. I've been thinking about that a little bit more lately because, um, you know, all, a lot of people have talked about trying to get rid of um, single-use plastics. And so there's been a right. lot of public attention on straws, right? We've talked about that before, that yeah. a lot of businesses are trying to get rid of their single-use straws. And I get that. Um, uh, although I did read an interesting piece in Little Village by a person who um, can't pick up their um, glasses and cups. Mm -hmm. And so they he said that he... Um, tried to bring his own stuff with him, but you know, there are times where he doesn't have it with him and he does need people to provide plastic straws. And so he's like, I understand that you want to reduce plastic use, but uh, there are some people who really need these things. And so just yeah. don't ban it, you know, come up with right. some other solution than banning. Um, so that's a digression. But the other thing is that, you know, I have been thinking a lot about how, um, there are all these little ways in which I use single-use plastics and I don't think about it. 
Um, you know, like I, I definitely reuse um, Ziploc containers and Tupperware containers and stuff. So I'm that person who washes out the plastic bags and reuses them. Mm -hmm. But there are plenty of other things where I don't think about the, the plastic that's on it or around it or, um, yeah, I don't know how to describe it any differently than that. Like, uh, one of the seals and yeah, seals are a big one. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, one of the things that I'll show you and describe later in the podcast is, um, the packaging that, uh, yarn tends to come in. Mm -hmm. So a lot of like wool in the gang does a really good job of packaging in paper. So they package, like if you buy a sweater kit, they package it in a paper bag and then that is packaged in a box. Um, so it's all paper. That's all recyclable. Uh, Everlane also does the same thing for clothing. So if you order something from Everlane, it arrives in a paper bag, like a paper cool. envelope bag. So it's been a mm -hmm. long time since I received plastic from Everlane. But some indie dyers, because they know that people, they know that the delivery is not necessarily going to be safe and people really want the color that they ordered, the way they ordered it, how they ordered it, not leaking totally. due to rain or something like that. They will package the yarn in a plastic bag and then put that inside of another container of some type. And so you do end up with a lot of single use plastics there just for the sake of protecting the thing that they work so hard to make. So, um, so yeah, a thing I've been thinking about, I'm not great about it yet, but I'm, I'm working on it. I will say that, um, I just had this conversation today with some of my coworkers because different factories put different labels on things like paper, generally it's paper labels, swift tapped the things like in samples, right? Not like a consumer, you know, garment or product that you'd buy, but it's just like a sample, right? Just to say, Oh, Hey, this is what this is. And one of our factories was doing plastic bags over the paper, which depending on the environment in which this item is being tagged, like lots of different environments are super humid. Yeah. And like, I can't tell you until you've actually been in another country where the humidity is so thick that the papers can't even go through printers normally. Like they don't keep paper just stuffed in uh, printers all the time. Like they kind of just like keep that shit tight. Because, and they keep it in a very air-conditioned room so that the paper will run. But if you take those papers out and you're out on the factory floor or you're just outside, that stuff wilts. Mm -hmm. Like, it's crazy, right? So this one place puts their paper inside of a piece of plastic and then slip tacks it on. And we all were discussing, like, how much that bothers us. And it's, you know, we're coming from a place of we shouldn't be doing this. But the other places are like, we're just trying to run our business. Like, you know. It was just an interesting conversation I had like maybe two hours ago. So I'm just mm -hmm. like, whoa. And then we've also been talking a lot about biodegradable um, plastic Swift tacks because there is a, I don't want to say numbers because that's not what I know, but there is a great deal of single use plastic involved with all of the packaging off of goods. So like everything from clothes, like labels and tags and um in your food, like all the seals around water bottles, the seals around your to-go salad, the, you know, there's so many different things and it's all obsessed with our need for quality and assurance. Mm -hmm. And there's, we're actually not even the worst in the United States. There's other countries that are really prone to wrapping everything like within 
Southeast Asia, a lot of food is pre-wrapped again, like wrapped within a wrap, but then wrapped all together. So just in case you didn't want it wrapped one way, it's all wrapped together separately. It's like, it's kind of silly, but they all have their reasons. They're, I mean, no one started doing that for nothing, right. but it's just, is everyone on board and ready to make the change or have more solvable, like more, not solvable, that sounds wrong, better solutions. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it's interesting. It's really interesting. Um, I forgot what we were talking about, the plastic wrap on cans, but I digress. So it I'm is really the, happy. Is the can, the can art on those cans, is it printed These are on? printed. They're traditionally printed, which again, like I really appreciate. I appreciate a lot, but also I'm not in the printing business. So I don't know, is this good? Is this wasteful? Is this bad? Like I have no idea, but it always, to me, I'm always like, well, that's a little less bit of a, a barrier to recycling. And like, there's even, um, you know, Sigus yogurt, yeah. I might be saying it wrong. Their plastic and foil packaged um, yogurt containers, they even have a little tab on the paper label that says, please remove here so that you can recycle this faster. And so they help you deconstruct your yogurt container for recycling purposes, which I find really smart and interesting. Yeah. Watch them be owned by Dan and Ernestly and <laughs> want to jump out of a window now. But anyways, the point is, here I am like, oh my God, they're so good. <laughs> but, killing everybody um but no i'm sure they're great uh but i appreciate their approach to packaging someone there thought about me buying their expensive yogurt and going she'll love this she'll buy it again and guess what i do every time (laughs) every time chris goes and buys the dollar the 10 for a dollar or 10 for 10 dollar deal or whatever and i'm like i'll have the three dollar yogurt and i'll love it but anyways enough of that uh, shall we move on to our next segment? Yes. So what are you working on? Uh, well, I am right at this moment and I just realized I set it down because I realized that my microphone is close to my hands and therefore close to my knitting. And probably at the beginning of the podcast, people heard a lot of, sorry, uh- <laughs> um, but that is, um, one needle striking another as I knit. So I am making, I decided uh, that I would make a welcome blanket. So um, oh, I don't nice. know if all everybody here has heard of this project, but it started, I want to say, um, either pretty soon after Trump was elected or, <laughs> you know, pretty I, soon I think- after going into office i can't remember I exactly you're right. the i think it date. was i think that there was a number at least the popularity of this program became very popular right at the time that we were all doing the protests at um airports because of the travel ban i think that's when the project really got a lot of show and strength. I don't, I am not sure if that is when it started, but that's when I started hearing about it. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, um, what they put on their website to, uh, sort of pose the, the project <clears throat> is, um, I'll just read from their website. So this is from www.welcomeblanket.org. 
The proposed border wall between the United States and Mexico is almost 2,000 miles long. Imagine if the massive distance of this wall was reconceptualized and recontextualized not to divide but to include. Instead of a wall, a concrete line to keep people out, what if lines of yarn became 3,500,640 yards of blankets to welcome people in? And so for this project, it originally occurred um, last year and uh, it was hosted by the Smart Museum of Art at the University of Chicago. And what it invited people to do was to um, make welcome blankets that they would then send in with a message for a person immigrating into the United States. So the blankets, would, you, you would make a blanket. Um, they had a pattern that's free that you could use for knitting. They have a crochet pattern. And then this year, they also have a quilt pattern because there were quilters who you know, wanted to participate. I heard, yeah. And so um, you didn't have to use the pattern if you didn't want to. You could use any pattern that you wanted to so long as your blanket was 40 inches by 40 inches, so they would all have a standard size so that they would right. be um, displayable as well. And so what people did is they all made blankets, sent them to the Smart Museum of Art in Chicago. Hi, Tubi. Sorry, my dog just jumped up. <laughs> you can hear She's her very... skittles clackling all over the ground. <laughs> Tap dancing for, for treats. It's great. Yep. Good. So, um, they displayed the blankets there uh, at the museum and then sent them out to people to have. They, um, and people wrote all kinds of really lovely notes on their blankets, either just words of welcome or their family's own story of immigration or, you know, whatever they wanted to say. Um, so it was such a success, such an overwhelming success that they decided to do it for a second year. And now it is at the... Um, Museum of Design Atlanta. So this is the new iteration. Location, yeah. And, and and year of blankets, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's part of um, the museum's exhibition, Making Change, the Art and Craft of Activism, which is on display from June 3rd to September 9th. And if you are interested, um, you don't have a huge amount of time left, but the pattern is for a bulky yarn. So you can definitely make a blanket by August 25th. Um, and there's a web, or a, an address on the website to mail your blanket to, and then it will be part of the project and then go to um, somebody who has recently moved to the United States. So, and they really do gift the moms. They really it's do. so great. They really do. I love it. I absolutely love it. I do too. And when this first started last year, um, I was so excited about the idea of doing it. And then I realized that I did not have the time at when it was being put together last year. I did not have time to put together a blanket. It just wasn't something I was going to be able to do. Um, so I was really excited when they did it again this year. And I realized that I did have time and that I actually had uh, some resources as well. Um, so I've been wondering what to do with some yarn that I got from our grandmother's estate. Um, basically, my grandmother was a knitter. Our grandmother was a knitter, and she was primarily, I would say, a, a quilter for most of the time. That's definitely what she, um, I think, took the most pride in because it was definitely where she got the most accolades. Um, but she did knit, and toward the end of her life, she had switched from quilting to knitting because 
she lived in a much smaller place and quilting takes up a lot of she, space. Yeah, and her quilt racks that she was using to lay out for quilting purposes, like she had big wood racks that would take mm -hmm. up spaces that yeah. um, were impressive. She had yeah. multiples. So yeah. um, once she downsized, knitting and crocheting was much simpler um, and could be put into a much smaller space more easily. So um, when it was time to, you know, pass her belongings out to the rest of the family, um, I had first dibs on the yarn because at that point I was the only person doing any of that type of work in the family. Um, so she had a bag full of this yarn that I'd never seen before, um, which is discontinued now, called Lion Brand Textures Silky Twist. So it's just a, an off-white, mildly off-white acrylic yarn, a big bulky yarn. It's very classically Lion Brand. It's exactly what you expect Good from, enough. yeah. Um, but there's so much of it that I have enough to make a blanket. And the pattern um, of the blanket that they give you, they basically provide you a pattern for making squares that are um, knit on the bias so that you basically have diagonal lines running through your square. Mm -hmm. And the way that they um, designed the pattern originally was that the squares would be um, one triangle would be one color and the other half of the square, the other triangle would be a different color. So you can kind of put together a flying geese pattern if you wanted yeah. to. So it kind or, of quilt, it looks quilted. Yeah. Like a traditional quilt idea. Yeah, and you could easily rearrange it in a number of ways to make your welcome blanket look unique, even though yeah. the pattern was very simple and it didn't require a lot of work to make something that looked unique. So I was thinking also about um, maybe buying a little bit more of another, maybe a brightly colored, like a yellow or something like that, that might be a nice sort of graphic look. Because mm -hmm. a lot of the welcome blankets do have a really cool graphic look that I think is neat. Um, I had this. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's what I'm, that is the only thing that I'm working on right now. I have finished a couple of things, which is why I ended up deciding to make the blanket because I had this, this moment of like, finish the stuff, stop. Because yeah, I was starting lots and lots of different things. I decided to finish some things. Good. Uh, so I finished a pair of socks that I made with um, yarn that I had dyed at a fiber festival in Ann Arbor six, seven years ago, six years. No, the, with Kool-Aid. Yeah. The yarn was dyed with Kool-Aid at the, and the fest that was, that may have been like eight or nine years ago <laughs> that I dyed the yarn. And then I started the sock six years ago. I got halfway down <laughs> one cuff and then stopped. Probably Not because just I didn't got like distracted. it, but I just got distracted. Yes. Um, so these are the Sunday <clears throat> swing socks, which are available on nitty.com. And if you guys don't know nitty.com, it's K N I T T Y.com. And it is a free pattern resource and they publish, I think three or four times a year. I'm pretty sure it's, I think it's four. I think they have like a winter, spring, summer, fall, deep fall, something like that sort of focused on the knitter seasons. <laughs> which are winter, second winter, almost spring, psych it's still winter and summertime. Um, and so <laughs> this pattern, I think I talked about these last time, so I won't spend a lot of time talking about them, but they have like an interesting but not too challenging pattern on the cuff that goes all the way down the foot. 
uh, which I like. I like having a little, a little decorative something on the foot and um, a pointy toe, which I don't know how I feel about it. Um, but you know, I'm trying some new shit and I haven't knit enough socks to know what my opinion is about different toe shapes. So I'm willing to give it a try. All right. Um, it's very different. It's a very different shape from the, well, not very different, a little different from the kind of magic sock kit that you gave me. That one is a wedge toe. So you, it, you know, goes in equally on both sides and it has a flat top. So it sort of looks like a trapezoid at your toe. Um, which doesn't fit me very well because I don't have, you know, trapezoid a longer set. <laughs> yeah, my feet are not shaped like trapezoids. Who knew? Um, maybe that makes me the weirdo. But, um, you know, I have that type of weird foot shape where my big toe sticks out further than all my other toes. Oh, does yours? Not your, mid- not your middle? No. Oh, you know what? I don't have that either. Way, way to go, Miranda. <laughs> I was like, don't you have <laughs> Know thyself. <laughs> I'm laughing only because it's like a pair, that was like a standard of beauty in, in like a Greco-Roman way that your one toe is longer than the other. But I, uh, yeah, I got the farmer feet ready to pull your rutabagas nice and strong and planted. Anyways. Um, yep. A good base. Yeah. <laughs> a good base from which to plant yourself. Um, but yeah, so I am still looking for the perfect toe, but for now, I, I like those. Um, then I also decided that I needed something else that was very bright. And um, interestingly, now that they're all knit up, they don't look that bright to me. Um, but these are the Warrior Gauntlets from um, a book called Doomsday Knits. That was so funny when you told me about that. <laughs> I know, right? So um, they are gauntlets. So they, um, you know, cover your forearm and they cover their fingerless gloves at the end. And they come, for me, I knit them the I knit them the way the pattern specifies, which I don't know if it's meant to be this way in general, but on me, that comes up to just above the elbow. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I, the, the yarn is um, Madeline Tosh Twist DK in Electric Rainbow. It's like all of my childhood 80s dreams. It is. You know, it's, the greens are more tealy greens. The pinks are hot pinks. There's a good amount of black. Um, but like I said, the, in, the, in the skein, it looks like so bright and vivid. And you're like, ah, so bright. And then you knit it up and it's kind of... I wouldn't it's say so vivid. <laughs> Compared to the yarns I'm about to show you, uh, it's it's relatively tame. Um, no, I just think it's it's vivid, but it's not super contrasty. Well, I mean, that's what happens when you blend those yarns as you knit them. That's the point, right? Is right. that they marl. It marls and it becomes more wearable. So I think I was afraid when I knit this that I was making this as sort of like a a kitschy thing that I would wear because I'm weird and I'm me and I don't care what anybody thinks, but, um, I don't think they actually turned out that weird. I don't think they're weird. I was just saying they're vivid. I agree with you that they're so vivid versus like, you know, those socks you just showed, which are so bright, but I like mm-hmm. that you were able to use such a vividly, um, like that kind of yarn, the one that you're just showing is really hard to put into something else. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I'm actually, 
I meant to like what the body was that they were put into. Well, and I also think um, because the the pattern is a textured pattern, so it's not lace, so you don't have to worry about not seeing the lace pattern, and it's not cables, but it's a textured pattern, so you don't see the, the pattern itself very well, but it blends the colors together nicely so that it's not just like stripes of color. Yeah. It's broken up a bit. Um, so those are the two things I finished. I'm working on the welcome blanket. Um, and I think that's all. All right. Yeah. How about um, you? I'm trying to think because the last time we talked was before I think I repaired denim. Ah, I think yes. I you posted, you posted your denim repair on our Instagram and we have never had so many comments. Yeah. On Instagram post is that one. And honestly, this morning I thought to myself, I better put on Facebook, do you do videos real good? Holler at me because it's not to say that my boyfriend Chris can't do videos, but there's a whole lot of, how do I do this? And I just don't want to <laughs> do that. So I need, to figure, I need to figure this out for myself or have a really good friend. And luckily I work in design. So I have a lot of design friends who are like, mm -mm, you got to get in deep. Let's do this. Let's pull up way. Let's look at the overview. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I repaired two pairs of jeans. That was all I did was just two pairs. Um, but I'm going to say from a personal perspective, I had blown those out around February. It is now August, but I repaired them in July, right at the end of July. And it made a world of difference in my wardrobe. It kind of like took the despair of my clothing out. And I know that sounds crazy, but a lot of us look at our wardrobe and we're like, I have nothing to wear or I'm not happy with what I have. Oh, yeah. And we, we have all had that experience that sort of like, yeah. how do I have all of this clothing, but somehow I don't want any of it. Yeah. It does not feel <laughs> like I want to wear any of it. Yeah. So I, I felt like it brought my dark denim back into into a wearable solution. Also, I was really impressed with my own repairs. <laughs> Let me just throw that out there. Um, I've, I've done previous repairs. I've done a, actually a lot of repairs for other people and I have not experimented this way before, but I use stretch denim as my base cloth for the repairs. So as, so I'll, I'll just say this, I'll do this in a video along with everything else I've promised to do that I haven't done yet. But, um, no, I really do want to do a video on this because I, I was actually really impressed by the, uh, the interest. Mm -hmm. um, and also, like, it made me think about my process a little bit better, which I think is good. When someone says we're interested, it makes you think, like, how do I tell somebody about this? How do yeah. I do it? But um, two, two big points is that, you know, I don't wash my jeans before I repair them. I think it's important that they fit you as they are. I don't think that you need to clean them because you can clean them later, but the point is to get the repairs in the way they fit you. And also like we used to always repair things with rigid materials and because things were rigid. We didn't have a lot of stretch, but now everything has stretch. So we kind of have to repair like with like, and I think that was a really big unlock for me this uh, last go nice. because I've used rigid materials before to like repair jeans for people and myself, but you know, you only have limited its success with that because eventually it'll tear again. So the tension is the reason it broke. Tension is the reason it's going to break again. So if you can avoid it, that's a good idea. 
So anyways, um, yeah, it's a, it's a home sewing tutorial that I can really work on. I've been thinking about how I'm going to lay that out for a while. Um, so yeah, I repaired two pairs. I have one more waiting for this tutorial and I'm using a pen to point like I'm a really important person. As, <laughs> no one can see this, but I'm definitely using a Sharpie. And anyone in the design world knows that you probably have like three Sharpies in your pocket at all times. I live with Sharpies. I probably have some strange affiliation with it, but it is what it is. Anyways, um, so yeah, I was darning my denim. That was my last big thing. Still quilting, um, a baby blanket for a friend. And lastly, my thing I've been working on the most is waking up early. Ooh. And but that is a project. Having it known you for um, a few decades, I can <laughs> say that that is, it's never really been your jam, except for when we were quite young. Right. And that involves cartoons. And Saturday cereals. mornings. And that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Even then, like, yeah, during the week, forget it. Mom had to sing to us to get me up and I would just scream about it. Um <laughs> So yeah, I'm doing this new thing where um, I'm waking up at 5.30 in the morning. Shit. <laughs> right? Every time okay. I tell somebody that, they're like, way to take it to the extreme, Miranda. But <laughs> I decided to like challenge myself that, you know, I'm one of those people who runs late. I run mm -hmm. really late. I also take my frustration of running late out on everybody. Mm -hmm. I like to think I don't, but I do. And then on top of that, I never feel as prepared as I'd like to be. And this comes with the territory of having ADD, absolutely. Like, I just don't use my, hello, Tubi. Um, this comes with the territory of not using my time well or managing my time well. Um, and I did the whole, like, set timers for yourself and, you know, give yourself schedule appointments and do these things, all these alerts. And, and in the end, I... I thought, let's just give myself the most amount of time in the morning and see how that goes. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm on day six. Today I slept until six. What? <laughs> um, it's still kind of crazy. I only wake up at 5.30 for a flight. I, there is nothing in my life that was like, get up and see Dawn ever. And my dog's making a lot of noise in the background, by the way. Sorry. But um, it's been really peaceful. I think I was craving peace and I needed it. And waking up really early kind of provides it. So it's kind of interesting. And I've also heard, I've not read anything on this yet, but a lot of people say that like when you, um, like just people I know, like when you change your, is it cir circadian rhythm? Mm -hmm. Your, once you change that and you follow something different, it's kind of like a reset for some people and it can change your mood. It can change your diet habits. It can change um, a lot of longstanding behaviors. And it's not to say that I, need to change a lot of long-standing behaviors, but it, you want the it's option just, to do it. Yeah. I, I think I just kind of felt helpless always being late, always like I was just kind of like this perpetual, my life sucks. Even mm -hmm. though my life is amazing. I love my life. There was something to be like, I can't control this. Mm -hmm. So let's see what I can do. So anyways, day six. Yeah. I think I said day six. Um, I'm on day six. So far so good. We'll see how this lasts. But I really do enjoy my walks in the morning with the dog. It's really peaceful. Um, the idea of having breakfast and drinking a coffee at home, I've always enjoyed that. But now I can do it every day. Yeah. It's kind of great. So that has been a project. And I'm being really kind with myself about um, 
taking on projects again because waking up early is like it kind of fucks with how you eat it fucks with how you drink coffee it fucks with how you you know deal with others because <laughs> mm-hmm. i've definitely just needed to revise that so that's my other work in progress it's funny so. you mentioned that i don't know if i ever told you that i had started in january of this year i can't remember i can actually tell you the date i have a little journal over there um I started doing um, a similar thing. So I had been talking with a coworker of mine about how um, I was kind of like struggling to keep afloat at stuff, like not in a bad way, but I just always felt like I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off, particularly since I started uh, running the lab. And um, she and I went to a we went to this event where we were on a panel of uh, young women scientists and some uh, older women scientists, just like women scientists um, talking to grad students, the graduate women in science group at University of Iowa. And the graduate students were asking us things like, you know, how do you balance your life? And how do you think about these problems? And how do you do this stuff? And so um, this friend of mine who was on the panel with me Um, someone asked about time management and she said that things had really changed for her time management wise when she had started doing um, my miracle morning or the miracle morning, which is a, it's a self-help book that is written in a very salesman kind of way. I can't really get behind the style of the writing. Got it. Okay. But what I can say is that, you know, the idea is that, um, like you're saying, all of us sort of find ourselves in a rush all the time and we end up not really knowing what our goals are from our with our behavior because we're so busy running around trying to get stuff like ticking off a to-do list that we never step back and say like, okay, well, is all of this stuff the stuff that I want to be doing and is it pushing me toward a goal that I have in mind? Or am I allowing my time to be filled up and my mind to be filled up by all these things that aren't really pushing me toward any specific goal that I have. Um, And so the guy who wrote the book advocated for, um, you know, getting up at like, he probably recommended 5 a.m. or something like that. Um, And so you have a full hour and he recommended activities to do within that hour that um, even if you have kids, your kids mostly are not getting up at 5 a.m. So you'd be able to do these things before your kids would want to wake up. Okay. And so he really advocated for um, meditation mm-hmm. and periods of silence Yeah. for um, coming up with um, visualizing what you want out of whatever, what you want out of the day, what you want out of the month, what you want out of a specific activity, but sort of like practicing in your head how you're going to feel and what you're going to do Um, because the idea is that, you know, successful athletes and successful business people don't go into something without having visualized what it is that they're trying to achieve. Okay. Um, I mean, I've heard that before. Yeah. I mean, none of this is like revolutionary. Nobody's ever heard of it before. The difference is that, um, I, excuse me, the difference is that I decided that I would actually try to do it just to see how it would go. 
and I was not interested in doing the most. That's not really, not really how I was feeling about it. <laughs> doing and the most. So, no, no, I was not. It's a Cardi B reference. <laughs> but I, um, I decided that there's a you know he talks about how the the duration of time doesn't really is not going to predict whether or not you're successful. So the more time you give yourself, obviously, the more time you have to do all these things. But mm-hmm. you can do it as long as you just decide on a time a time frame in which you're going to do it and just do it. You can see if it's if it feels right to you. So I decided to do a six minute version. So I have like I have a timer every morning when I wake up and I do, you know, one minute of silence, one minute of affirmations, one minute of like visualizing what it is I'm trying to achieve Um and so you go through this process. Um, so it takes me six minutes every morning. I get up at 6 a.m. in order to do it because I was previously waking up at 6.30. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was finding myself like just a little tight on time. And yeah. I didn't want to get up at 6.15 to do this thing and find myself still a little bit on time. So I was like, no, I'm going to get up 30 minutes in advance, even though the thing I think I want to do is only a little bit of that time. Because if I never honest, know, well, and if, you, yeah. if I'm being honest with myself, the 6:30 wake up time wasn't enough. I wanted it to be enough, and it wasn't. You know, right. it was going to land me at work later than I wanted to be there, or I was going to, like you say, have to rush through coffee, carry a, trying to have a, you know, I, I take the bus, so I'd have to like have my lunch and my backpack and my travel mug and like, no, 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 no. And so I've been getting up at 6 a.m. every weekday since January and doing this. And it has been really nice because it is nice to have that few minutes where I think about, you know, I look at my calendar for the day, get a vision in my mind of what it is I I told everybody else I was going to do that day, (laughs) and then think about what I think I need to do that day, see whether or not those two things match. And if they don't match, I can make changes. But um, yeah, it's been nice. I thought I would give it up really soon because I'm not a morning person either. And I was like, mm, this will last like two months. I'll do and this for two wow. months. I'll learn something good about myself. And then I'll move back to the thing that's more comfortable, which is having more sleep. But I, I haven't. That's awesome. I think that's great that you uh... – that stuck. I also think it's interesting that you and I didn't talk about that. No, I think that's really I didn't interesting. Wanna, I didn't want to tell anybody that I was doing it in case you decided not to do it anymore. Well, it's a lot of things actually. It's um, partially because that book is fucking hokey. It is the book that it comes from is hokey, um, and it is it's so little that it seemed not worth talking about, quite honestly. Like getting up and doing six minutes worth of stuff. It's like, why would you even make a deal out of that? And that's just me minimizing my own effort, right? Like I would never tell anybody else. That's not worth it. That it's not worth it or that it's silly or that, you know, it's too small to, to be worth doing. But yet I tell myself that and therefore I didn't tell anybody else about it really either. Interesting. And I think for me, I, I will admit that my partner was during a training shift because he's changed jobs. 
he had morning shifts and evening shifts. So he had two 6 a.m. calls, sorry, 6.30 calls on weekends. And he is an early, not an early bird, but he refuses to be late. It is like his pet peeve to be late. Um, and so I was amazed at what time he was going to get up for it. Because if I, someone told me, like, Miranda, you got to be here at 6.30. I'd be like, we're 7.45 is when I'm getting up for you. <laughs> um, or not six, so not 6.30. Like, uh, sorry. If you'd be here at 6.30, I would be getting up at uh, 5.30 maybe. But um, I also noticed that I, I take an hour to get ready. And if anyone knows me, I don't wear any makeup. And I have like four hairs on my head. So like there's <laughs> literally nothing to do except look at myself in the mirror. And apparently I get lost in my own gaze. I don't know. <laughs> Something happens. Something magical happens where I'm transformed into just me every time that everyone sees me. And uh, <laughs> I'm just laughing about it because I'm like, ooh, this mascara is taking a whole two minutes to put on. Um, glad I put on that sunscreen. It's going to change my life. Um, it's, so it's just funny that I take an hour to get ready. And I'm not really sure where that came from other than I didn't want anyone to rush me. Like I've become this weird, stubborn old lady about like, I take the time I want in the shower and I will pay for it. And I don't care. You know, like I, I'm this person, but that, that determination to have an hour long, you know, not hour long shower, but an hour long get up and get going has resulted in me panicking on my way to work. And I bike faster than I've ever biked in my life. And I just lose track of time. And when I get to work, it's my job to be ready ready and ready to talk to people and on the go and not in a, not that that's the, what my job has told me, but it's, um, I don't know when you show up at work, you, you, it says I'm here, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. Let's talk. And I, that was not a really a good time to work on my personal things. And I think this year I discovered that I had a lot more, um, things to manage from like taking care of our father or managing the move from California to Minneapolis. Like those are just a lot of personal phone calls that I just can't do during the day. I really shouldn't do that. And I really shouldn't like be reading dumb articles in the middle of the day when I'm trying to also stuff a, a shitty salad in my mouth. And like, there's just all these things that can't all happen at once. I don't know why I thought multitasking was a good idea for me. It's not. I'm not real good at it. So I'm just going to own that. So anyways, um, yeah, the 5.30, maybe I don't need to wake up at 5.30. But uh, so far, I have not been disappointed. No, so. I, I will say I have not had a day where I got up at 6 a.m. and thought, man, I really wish that I had you know, let myself sleep in a little bit further because that five minutes of sleep would have really changed my life. You know, <laughs> like yeah, somehow yeah. I get up at six, I do the things that I'm supposed to do. And because I don't have to rush them, I feel okay, but I still don't have like 30 minutes extra to dick around doing other stuff. Like there's other stuff to be doing all the time. And instead what ends up happening is that I get to the end of my work day and yes, there's always more work that I could be doing, but I don't feel panicked. And then I come home and I do things at home and I don't feel panicked. So I was just going to say that like there's, I used to come home and go, I'm going to work now. I have to keep working and it's not done because I know me, I can't wake up. And instead, because I come home, 
I chill out a little bit and I know that I'm going to address it in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. I don't know why 35 year old Miranda couldn't tell 25 year old Miranda this because I was going to live my life and I do what I want to do. I, <laughs> I don't know. But like, it is really interesting that I don't have this panic that I'm like, I'll deal with it in the morning. It is really interesting. It's Isn't very, it uh, it's very peaceful. It's cool. Yeah. I like it so far. Um, but we'll see. We'll talk to you guys next time. In two weeks. <laughs> right. we'll, tell you, we'll tell you how that really went. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of uh, wrapping this up, we'll speak in two weeks. Are you ready for your gold star? I sure am. Hit it. You want me to go first? Yeah. I'm actually still thinking about mine a little bit. All right. So I'm going to apologize right now for all the crinkling that's about to happen. I'm going to make it. <laughs> all right. Because... You know, we, this is only episode 20. I don't have my shit together quite yet. Like this is stuff that a, a professional <laughs> would have gotten this stuff out of the plastic beforehand, but uh, I'm me. So mm-hmm. you get what you get. Um, so my gold star, and I think um, we've actually, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast before, but I know I definitely put it up on the Instagram page um, is that this past July, was the um, one of the most creative ways I have ever seen of dealing with uh, plagiarism ever, which is the Tits Out Collective. Yes, you have talked so about that a little I, bit. Have I talked about it on the podcast? You have, but not deeply. Okay. So hit it. So we'll do this the short version um, because anybody who wants to can look up the long version. But basically... The Tits Out Collective was started by an indie dyer called Countess Ablaze, uh, who is a UK indie dyer. And basically, she had created a colorway called If I Want Exposure, I'll Get My Tits Out, because it's all based on a story of something that happened to her a while ago, where um, somebody somebody in her community was trying to get her to like do free labor for mm. their business while mm-hmm. also saying like misogynistic things about knitters and uh, inviting her to participate in the activity for no dollars and for exposure. And she was just like, fuck oh, oh, fuck you. So anyway, so she created this colorway for that um, and it raised a bunch of money for, I, I believe it's a group called Women's Aid in um, the UK. And so Huge success, really wonderful. And then she discovered that one of these charity colorways that she had created had been plagiarized by another indie dyer who had actually used pictures of her yarn in Shut their advertising. Up. It's one thing to be like, I love your idea, I'm going to copy it. It's a whole other thing to be like, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to use yours. Yeah. I'm going to take your photos. Like, fuck off. Okay, yeah, sorry. I mean, there's... it's. Plagiarism is bad enough just in like stealing somebody else's concept, but you're using, anyway. There are images, damn. What was really interesting was that her way of responding to it was to be like, okay, how are we going to make this situation good? Like what good is going to come out of this? Um, And what she decided to do was say, okay, well, this person has decided to steal my colorway. I'm just going to tell you what dyes I used to make that colorway. Everybody gets to know. And so she said the brands that she used, the exact colors that she used to create that colorway. And then um, 
she invited people to do their own interpretation of it. Mm. And then um, starting July 1st, anybody who wanted to participate either because they had their own colorway or because they had a pattern they wanted to donate or something like that, um, they could tell her that they were going to do it, show a picture of their sample, and then um, starting July 1st, Everybody would be on the same page. So if you went to Tits Out Collective, it would be everybody who was participating in all of their yarns and all of their patterns would all be shown. And each of them was raising money for whatever charity they wanted to donate to. And so she hosted this whole, I think I want to say it went for a month, but I'm not sure it went that long. Um, and I found two yarns that um, were interpretations of the, the color and uh, I received them this month, and I'm super excited about them. So one of them is a, a type of yarn I've never tried before. It's a self-striping yarn. So what that means is that the yarn is dyed in a, such a way that when you knit it, it will make stripes. Um, and if you knit it as socks, then you'll have you know, a striped sock. If you knit it in a bigger circumference, you might not get stripes, you might get more pools, but anyway. So the original Countess of Lay's colorway had essentially purples, pinks, oranges, and yellows, generally speaking. And so what this um, company did, this dyer, um, the name of the company is Haverland, H-A-V-I-R-L-A-N-D, um, and she made a, she made three different colorways, actually, um, but the one that I bought is the graffiti overlay version. So what that means is that instead of just making stripes of color, they're stripes of color, but they have speckles on them that kind of make it look like, mm -hmm. you know, somebody had spray painted over the top or something. Kind of like, what's the word? It's like really spatter paint. Yeah. Yeah. So I am, I'm very excited about making this into socks. That's very exciting. And then the other one I bought um, is from a local dyer, Stitch Together <laughs> Studio, um, which is from Marion, Iowa. And uh, their, their label says, uh, Stitch Together, hand-dyed somewhere in Iowa, rad yarn for rebels. And their color, they did something a little bit different. So they took the same colors that were the main colors, um, but made those the speckles. So pink, orange, purple, yellow speckles on a variegated, not variegated, a tonal lighter pink background. Mm -hmm. So the main yarn is really kind of like a lighter salmony pink. And then the speckles are the, the overlay on that um, in the Countess of Blaze colors. And yeah, the color is called Tough Titty. This is amazing. <laughs> which I love. And um, yeah, so from every skein of yarn that was sold as part of this uh, project, um, various different charities got a little bit of money from the dyers. Um, 
So I can't remember off the top of my head which uh, organizations these two yarn companies donated to, but I'll put it in the uh, show notes and on the Instagram feed. Um, and then I didn't have, I didn't want to. You buy... are on. You are on number three. No, no, no. My oh, my gold star is my gold star is the Tits Out Collective. Oh, okay. Sorry, should have been more clear. That gives me <laughs> license to as many as I want. Um, but the the long and short of it is that I did not want to buy huge amounts more yarn, but I did want to support uh, the charities that people wanted to support. So there were some other folks who had um, charities that I thought were really cool. And so I just donated directly to the charities instead of buying the yarn, kind of figuring that I was participating in the way that wouldn't land me in a position of having too much stuff. So that's my good start. It. All right. Sorry. I read that as three at first. I was like, oh, oh, oh. But Oh, no, she's you... taking liberties. Not that I mind. P.S. It's our podcast. We're allowed to do what the fuck we want. Um, so deal with it. Um, jump it away. Uh, okay, my gold star this week, and I need to go do my research to make sure that I am clear about who this group is. Um, this week, I did a $10 yoga class at Tattersall um, Distillery. Tattersall here in Minneapolis is known for their gin and a number of other spirits that they are now um, creating. Um, but gin was like where they started, and it is pretty awesome. But the, there's a girl, she comes there, I say girl, but I think it's a collective. Um, there's a woman who's there every Wednesday, and we actually do yoga inside one of the um, storage rooms. I think that they're moving items out to, you know, trucks and stuff in there. Um, and it's awesome. It's really, really peaceful, despite all this crazy noise that's going on around you. Um, she does a vinyasa yoga class that was very, like, chill and relaxing and not crazy vinyasa not like power yoga or anything acrobatic um i say acrobatic because there's t crow pose sorry never gonna do it deal with it i've already <laughs> I've shut tried, myself off to it and i definitely i definitely shot my, i was so sweaty my knees flew off the back of my elbows and i almost <laughs> face planted and every time i do it i'm like there's something in my mind that says your hands are your job don't don't do this for for zen fuck off like no no and i everyone's like just do it and i was like well you know what good luck on your workers comp this is my life <laughs> um not workers comp but you know i'm just saying like i can't i can't i can't just say that yeah. but um the point was is that i actually was really impressed by her vinyasa flow class i loved her approach and her reasoning of doing this is she's doing yoga classes in non-traditional studios she's like i left studio life because she was like yoga is not accessible for the community and it's a great tool for a lot of different people and a lot of different health uh benefits people in different health um stages in their lives kids elderly like all these things she was like we got to go to them and so living the studio life is really great but that's 25 35 dollars a class sometimes and i mean i ain't gonna say that i have the money for it because i don't so the fact that she did a ten dollar class for 45 minutes at tattersall gin distillery it was really really great and i just loved her approach and i love that she was doing what she felt that was important and she has like i think four different classes a week in lots of different places 
but she was like, you know, studio life didn't pay me. I got $25 per person per class, but that meant the studio got this. And that also, you know, this company got this. And then I got some of that. And in the end, I'm not even touching the people of the matter. And I was like, cool, good point. The whole point of this is to get people to see not that, not that, not that people that are, that are paying studio prices don't matter. It's just that there is a lot of them and a lot of those places, you know. So I appreciated her yoga outreach. Definitely going to go back when I have a chance. Yeah. Well, and I think, yeah. you know, the, the nice thing about it is that, you know, if you do want to go to a studio, there's no shortage of them. If that's important for you feeling like you're able to focus and take a mm -hmm. moment to take care of yourself, there's nothing wrong with that. Totally. But yoga is a practice that doesn't really require anything except a flat surface. It's like yeah. really the only thing you need is a flat surface where that's like at least an arm's breadth wide. That's really it, you know? So it's nice to it's think true. creatively about how you're going to make that fit. And I think there is something um, really... It just, it reminded me of my privilege. It reminded me also of like the ways I can support her and her, you know, organization doing it because I really do think that there is a benefit. Mm -hmm. I think there is absolutely beyond just a physical benefit, um, the mental benefit to it, I think for a lot of different people. And if you make it for $10, people won't feel so cheated if they don't like it. I feel like it's a gateway price. So, yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, that's my gold star. And in the comments, I will comments or at least in our tags, I will find out the instructor and the company that she's working for or not company, but the organization she's working for. Awesome. But I was really into it. I'm definitely gonna look for her classes again. That is so great. And what, yeah. a, what a good note to wrap up on. Yes. So, um, so yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, and if you want to help us reach more people, the best way to do that is to uh, leave a review on iTunes or to find us on Instagram and share our post there if you're interested. Um, Instagram is definitely where we are the most active. You can find us as Stitchcraft Sisters. Um, we do have a Ravelry group, but nobody uses it. <laughs> you're welcome to, but at this point, nobody's <laughs> using it. Um, yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. Thank you guys so much. And uh, I can't believe it. We're at episode 20. I know. Pretty fucking cool. It is Next time great. we're drinking. No, I'm just kidding. But we As also opposed to all people. the other times. <laughs> right? I feel like maybe we have to have a very special episode for this. But we'll see what we, we get to. We also have some other folks for um, our summer school series. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. All right, All right. Well, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.